0: Good morning again. It's good to see you all. And hey babies, love them if they're crying. I love it. Don't worry. And uh I should also say we want to we're going to start folding this more into our communication, but really want to start working toward family worship is a huge a huge value for us. So uh, we have child care up to a certain point and not just child care, but really teaching your children pointing them to Jesus, loving them, playing with them. But also uh, Want to start bringing them in if if you're comfortable with that, parent. Bringing them in more until really until announcements, and then so they're here with you, parents, for worship and with us, the body. And they're they're, they're I think they're gaining and pulling in and taking in more than than we realize, and that's just a rich family experience. And then after that, you can take them, you can take them at the beginning, but you can also feel free to take them, bring them in until until really I get up or until the anchor gets up to start announcing things, and then and then take them back. Um, and then, of course, if you want to keep them as well, that's fine. So I just wanted to say that, and we'll start kind of rolling with that with that note more. Robin, what did you lean over and say to me? Is Oh, to encourage people as John, John Thanks, uh, was, was giving his testimony just about what God's doing right now in his life. Uh, just want to encourage more of you. You are the church. If you want to share, to, not to trumpet, but to say, here's what God's doing through me and in, in me and I'm so humbled by it, and I want to share, to give him glory. That's what it does, and it encourages us, and it reminds us, oh yeah, I'm the church. I, I, I can. He can use me too, and he probably is using me. I don't realize it. Um, come and talk to me. Talk to one of us, and we'd love to to just get you up here for three three minutes or so, and, and just have you share that. So let's jump right in. Uh, Matthew 8, like Austin said, we're just off the mountain. Literally, we're just kind of flying through. 16-week series in Matthew. It's a 28-chapter book, so we're not going to hit everything, but we just got Four verses last week in the entire three-chapter Sermon on the Mount, best sermon ever preached. Kind of preached from the, an exegesis of those few verses and then sort of gave a platform, hopefully, for you going to read it for yourself. And, but Jesus, he, is, he says, look, I am the reason the Old Testament was written. I am the reason for all the revelation of God. I am its embodiment. I am its enfleshment. Without me, it's pointless. Without me, space, time, history is absolutely, there's no point. It's amazing, this huge claim that he makes. We need that mountaintop. We need that mountaintop experience with the living God, opening his mouth and giving us words of life. But we also need the valley. We need the coming down from the mountain. We need uh, to get into the trenches, the the day-to-day nitty-gritty of life, to get dirty, to touch people, to interact with them. Um, But we need it in that order. The mountain with God down into the everyday of life. And we see Jesus Um, We see Jesus coming down off that mountain, off that wonderful place, into the nitty-gritty of the everyday here. So what is, this is sort of the question that, that Matthew's presenting us with. What is this greater than Moses that was prophesied in Deuteronomy 18, this Messiah, this God who speaks, doesn't just go up like Moses to get the law and come down with it and give it to the people, but he actually opens his mouth and speaks the very law. What is this God on the mountain going to be like when he comes down from that mountain? Even Moses, who was a mere man, a prophet used by God, was less approachable when he came down the mountain in Exodus 19, 20, and following, right? In that whole saga, he came down, and what was, what was he like? His face, he was, loom, he was literally like a living light bulb. He was luminous. His face was glowing because when he, he had been with God, it changed him. He was radiant with the Shekinah, with the presence of the living God, and people were just def- kind of afraid to be around him. Like, he had to put a veil over his face, and he would remove himself when meeting with God from the camp of the Israelites and pitch his own tent that, was, that came to be called the Tent of Meeting, and he would meet with God on behalf of the people, and the fire or the cloud, uh, God's presence, would descend on that tent when Moses entered it, and the people would just kind of stand agape and watch from afar. So Moses even coming down. The mountain was not approachable. God was not approachable except by one man in a certain way. And even when Moses came down from being with God, he was not approachable. Um, What will this greater than Moses, this God of the mountain, be like when he comes down the mountain? That's one question as we've been reading through that we should have on our minds as we approach this text. Right on the heels of the Sermon on the Mount. Will he be worse? Will he be less approachable than Moses? Matthew wastes no time in telling us, or rather showing us, the answer. Quite the opposite, Moses said, excuse me." Matthew says. Jesus is literally the most approachable person that has ever put footprints on the ground. Far more approachable than any sinful human. Someone who understands your problems and pulls up a seat next to the, at the bar next to him and says, come on, man, I'm a sinner too, let's go. Jesus is more approachable than that guy. And he's full of power to heal, clean, perfect in his purity. Who is this guy? Who is this man? This is the question that Matthew's asking. Who is this man? And it's a question that we're going to return to time and again as we walk, continue to walk through Matthew. The first point I want to hit this morning in this short four-verse text that Austin read is Jesus before getting to who is this man and finishing there, Jesus pursues the outsider. We see it so clearly. He's so approachable coming down off this mountain, and Jesus pursues the outsider. Matthew wants to make that so clear. So under that heading of Jesus pursuing the outsider, I want to look first for a few minutes at the leper, what Austin read, the leper. Again, in light of the Old Testament picture that Matthew is comparing this to, Jesus on the mountain giving the law rather than receiving it, um, our minds are blown here. Uh, Matthew sort of creates this sense of wonder when he says, when he came down from the mountain, verse 1, great crowds followed him. So he has this horde, he's not alone, he has this horde following him. And behold, a leper came to him. One guy translates it, and look, it's a word of astonishment in narrative, both Old Testament and New, and behold, check this out, open up your eyelids, something amazing is about to happen. Can you believe this? This God who is astonishing in his authority and in his teaching, who is working in power in all sorts of ways, who has given us the very law from his own lips, he's approached by this extremely unclean person, according to the law. Leprosy was dealt with in the Old Testament. It's in Leviticus 13 and 14. Uh, It's where it's directly addressed. And it was a lot more prominent in Jesus' day. Um, Skin diseases of various sorts, and often um, the word leprosy is used for various skin things that we wouldn't necessarily say, okay, this is leprosy today. I think it's also called Hansen's disease. Uh, lepers were considered ceremonially unclean because of that bit in, in the law. Not because they were sinful, but because leprosy was an obvious consequence of a cursed creation. It wouldn't have been around in the garden. It, it, it would not have been around if we, if our forebears had not sinned and broken covenant with God and if creation had not been cur- uh, cracked and cursed. It was not part of God's best plan. Okay? And so it was a a picture of that, of the curse. And so lepers could not come around the camp. They couldn't come close to uh, the tabernacle and the temple. According to the law, lepers, they had to live alone outside the city and outside the village communities in Israel. They had to call out, unclean! With their hands over their mustaches or their beards or their lip, their upper lip, whenever they came around people. Can you imagine? Uh, perhaps for this reason and for others, it was wrongly thought for centuries that leprosy was highly contagious. For centuries and centuries and centuries, all the way into the early and the middle church. Um, it's, it's, it's not highly contagious. It, you can get it from mucus inside the nose in a couple of other ways, but it's not touch and I got it. Um, but the point is, that's the way people perceived it in Jesus' day. Touch, homie, you're going to get it. Okay? Um, They thought that people were being, a lot, a lot of people thought that because this person was pronounced ceremonially unclean, it was, these people were especially cursed by God and morally corrupt and unclean and especially sinful and judged by God um, as a result. So that was a prevalent sort of mentality, unclean, untrustworthy, morally corrupt. They often, even into the Middle Ages, had to wear special clothing or carry a bell, sort of like crying out unclean to let people know they were coming, so scatter. Don't even get close to me. Um, segregation, again, from mainstream society was common, even into the church age. The Third Lateral Council of 1179, Lateran Council, excuse me, and 13, a 1346 edict by King Edward expelled lepers from city limits. Uh, these people were often, lepers were often hor- horribly disfigured and sometimes maimed, missing. If you, if you type in leprosy into Google and hit images, First, one of the things you'll see is missing digits, missing uh, fingers, missing toes, because you can't feel pain. It it damages your nerve endings, so you end up hurting yourself. Um, Things end up falling off, so you just look not only puffy and globular, but also you're missing stuff, and it's just, it's painful. Um, In short, lepers were, let's pull it all together, they were ostracized. They were lonely. I think that might have been one of the worst parts. They were often maimed. Uh, They were hurting, hurting people. They were loved by few. They were judged by many. They were touched by none but their own. They were a miserable and a wretched people. They were in many ways. I want you to get this. Lepers in Jesus' day were in many ways the ultimate outsiders. The ultimate. For every reason I've just enunciated, the ultimate outsiders. And this ultimate outsider... Jesus with the hordes following him. Certainly was not sitting there amongst the crowd eating Twizzlers, hands around them, listening to Jesus as he preached the Sermon on the Mount. No. He was purposefully staying away, possibly watching, waiting for a chance, desperate to get to Jesus. Gonna break in to this horde. Can you imagine the courage? Because because of everything people would have thought, what is this guy doing? Get out of here. Comes right up to this God off the mountain. The ultimate outsider approaches the ultimate insider, Jesus Christ, son of the living God, come from God's throne room, perfectly pure. Wow, what an approach. In light of all this, it is simply astounding that he approaches, and Matthew captures all of that. And I have to work a little harder to get you there, but Matthew's audience would have gotten all that with the word, behold, look at this. Check this out. A leper, first thing, comes right up to Jesus. Wow. This guy is so hungry for healing. He's so desperate for a touch, for a word from the living God, from this Messiah. So desperate that he forgoes all the conventions, cuts right through them and just beelines it for Jesus I want to ask you are are you at that place would you offer up to God if you are not at that place and you need healing in some way outside inside I don't care what side but you're incomplete you're unclean you're impure you're hurting you're lonely you're maimed in whatever way would you ask God get me to the place where I am so desperate that I cry out and I make a beeline for you I'm going to hit that drum a few more times okay But I want you to start talking with God. I want you to start listening as I I speak. Listen for the voice of God and the Holy Spirit. So he's so desperate. The ESV says that he knelt before him. But the KJV, the the old King James gets a bad rap these days. The authorized version. Uh, It's better, I think, here. It says he worshipped him. The ESV says he knelt down. The KJV says he worshipped him. And in the Greek, it can mean either one. It, he hits the deck, he kneels, but that's really a posture of worship, of adoration. And the word really most often means worship. And it's conveyed by body posture. You don't worship just by standing up giving a handshake and a boop, you know, butt bump. That's not what you do. You, as Americans, we're democracy, you know, at all costs. Everyone's on the same footing. You know, in this kind of culture, there were levels. There were hierarchies. There were social stratifications. Man, when you went before your better, you went down. And homie goes down, and he worships and he worships. Bruner, a commentator, says that his request is a perfect triple expression of faith. Let's look at it for a minute. It's a perfect triple expression of faith. First of all, he calls Jesus Lord. He recognizes who Jesus is. You are my better. You are my master. You're my Kyrios in the Greek. It can mean anything from you are the creator, I admit that, to certainly you are Worthy of me hitting the deck and, and making this request, okay? He, he, he reverences him. Think of this as an expression of faith because it so is. And then he says, if you want to. It's a, re- it's a reverence. That reverence from the Lord carries through to this, not request, if you think about it, right? It's not a request. He's not asking a question. Technically, he's just saying a fact to Jesus I know if you want to, but only if you want to. I'm not demanding anything. Faith does not demand faith is not presumptuous faith has a reverence and an awe and a respect and this guy captures it with this simple direct statement if you want to and then this you can heal me i know you can you can do it if you want to not not maybe you can if you want to you have the power you have the ability i believe you can the first submits and worships. The second respects and does not demand. It asks, in a sense, though it's not a question. Healing God's touch to make us whole, it's not our right, but, our, but a gift. It's a gift, unearned. It's a privilege. And the third admits that Jesus has the power and is able. So again, notice... Um, He's not asking something, Bruner says, something more confident is put forward. And it's not a you might be able to, but it's a you can. It's respectful, it's humble, but get this, guys, it's bold. Think about his approach. At all costs, it's bold, it's believing. The heart of faith is not its tact, says Bruner, though that is its form. Okay, I want to repeat that. The heart of faith is not its tact, though that is its form. The heart of faith is confidence. You can. You can. And he brings out this too. History is resonant in this simple and heartbreaking from the leper, if you want to. What does he mean, history is resonant? Think about all the people that he had encountered through the years, decades perhaps, perhaps of his diseased life that are packed into that phrase that stood on the other side, who did not want to touch him, who did not want to get close to him, who did not want to hear from him, this outsider, this disgusting, they think morally corrupt, unworthy person. And he, all that is packed into what he brings to the Savior. If you want to, and just clinging to the idea that Jesus, God Almighty, I pray you do want to, it's where we are. It's where he brings us. It's where he is. And the wonderful thing is, as you know, Jesus does want to. He does. I want you to look at, so we looked at the approach. We looked at leprosy as a disease. We have looked at the approach briefly. Let's look at the touch, this beautiful touch. In both Matthew and Mark, who also records this same scene, Jesus touches the leper before speaking to him. Isn't that a beautiful, you might have raced over that. I've had time this week to sit sit in it. It all happens so fast, but he touches him before saying a word. He thus gives a sort of double, I want to, to this untouchable man. Doesn't he? He says, I want to, I will. But before he says it, he does it. He touches this man. And in Matthew, we see in Matthew chapters five through seven in the sermon, which we raced through last week, as Austin said, we get the, you know, my brother-in-law often will say to me, if I'm being smart or if I'm yammering, just flapping my gums, he'll say, don't sing it, bro, bring it. And uh, that's what Jesus does here. He's singing it. He's singing it in the Sermon on the Mount, and now in Matthew 8, this entire chapter and and following, we see him just bringing it, bringing the heat of his godness. He sings it, but then he also backs it up. He brings it. Show and tell when you're a kid, right? You show, but you also tell. We've had the tell. Now Jesus has given us the show. So he touches this man. Um, In both Matthew and Mark, again, the word touched is a bit stronger than touched for us. You kind of get the tap kind of idea or, I don't know, how would I touch a leper? Jesus, literally, it, it, it means he holds him. I don't know. Remember the Pope, the current Pope, remember that? When he, a man came to him horribly disfigured with elephantiasis and he put his face on the man's face and grabbed him in his arms. What a beautiful scene. Something like that, I don't know, but the word can mean to hold or to grab hold of. That's kind of what the essence of the word there. So it's not just a it's not a, you know, it's not a distance touch, it's a embrace, it's a grab. Okay? He grabbed, he reaches out and he grabs this poor man. Who's not been touched by a non leprous person, probably in God knows how long. Bruner says, the fact that Jesus reached out his hand and grabbed this man says volumes. The gospel is in this grasp. We come to him, every single one of us, outsiders, unclean. Whether or not we look it on the outside, completely undeserving of the gift of his healing and his grace and his power and his compassion and his love and his ability to make us completely clean. We all come to him this way and he comes down off of the ultimate mountain off of the ultimate unapproachable from God's throne to the to us to our midst poor rejected a man in real flesh a real man a suffering servant and he gets so close and he grabs us and pulls us in and then he says I will be clean I want to yes Instantly, it says, Matthew says, immediately, immediately, the man is made clean. You know, this is such a wonderful, because it shows the approachableness of Jesus for so many other reasons. Uh, Placement. I love the placement of this. Um, account, Jesus coming off the mountain. But if we've read the Sermon on the Mount right, and we've seen what God requires, how our righteousness has to exceed that of those who punctiliously followed the law, and it's every precept, because that's what's required. Not, like I said last week, not only on the outside, but internal obedience from the heart, our affections, like who said it? I don't even know who said it anymore. I forgot. John finished his testimony with this. Like God requires, all the law is this, that we would love God with everything we are, inside, outside, emotions, mind, cognition, uh, bodies, affection, will. Have I ever done that for three seconds? No. Have you? Have you ever loved your neighbor, here's the killer word, as you love yourself? I have never done that. I'm breaking God's law all the time, inside and out, but especially inside. We are lawbreakers. We are lepers. And as lepers, we come to Jesus, outsiders, to the ultimate insider. And so after reading the Sermon on the Mount, we should, too, feel, if we've read it right, like this miserable wretch. (laughs) Jesus, if you will, if you want to, you can. I know you can. But only he can do it. There is no other way. I don't care what the culture is telling you. I don't care whether the religions are telling you. There is no other way to be made clean, inside and out, presentable before God, fully righteous, as we sang earlier, righteous, justified, fully, no matter what I've done in the past, to be desperate for cleansing. That is where I want for us to be, desperate to be touched by Jesus. All it takes is a touch. All it takes is one word. That's it. It's enough. But Matthew's making a larger point. So, if we go, I haven't, I didn't have Austin read this because no time and it's okay. I mean, it's the same point throughout the chapter. There's not just a leper, but after that, if you open your Bibles and look at them, and I should have told them to have this on the screen, that's my bad. If you have a Bible and look at it, if you don't, it's fine, I'll tell you. Right after this episode, Jesus is approached by a centurion who's a Roman soldier and the Jews are under the thumb politically and economically of Rome, of the empire. And so this man is in charge of 100, 100 plus. Uh, He he is sort of the, the centurions were the backbone of the Roman system, of the Roman power, of the Roman army. They made things work. They were leaders. They were directors. They were fighters. They were managers. This guy is all that Rome is, and he's an enemy of Jesus' people. And plus he's a Gentile. He's a Gentile dog, they were called by the religious Jews of Jesus' day. He couldn't come. The only person that was more unclean than him in the eyes of a punctilious, law-abiding Jew in Jesus' day was this leper. So from the ultimate unclean to the next unclean. Centurion approaches. And then after that, and he asks for healing for his either son or servant. We don't know if it's the word pais in the, in the Greek. It can mean either one. Paisano. We get the word paisano in Italian, and we kind of translate it into English uh, from that word. And... Um, And then after that centurion, whom Jesus has compassion on and from a distance speaks healing over this centurion's son or servant. The next episode is Peter's mother-in-law, a woman in this society, also not nearly as privileged, another outsider, couldn't come into the court of men. Gentiles could only come, leper couldn't even come into the city. He's already breaking stuff up when he comes in here. Okay, the Gentile had a court specially for him that he couldn't even go into the court of the women Jews. The women Jews could go a little bit farther into the temple precincts and then after that the men could go in farthest. And then the priests and then a special priest, and so on and so forth and so on. Areas of exclusion. Okay, so these are all outsiders. The leper, the centurion, the Gentile dog, the Roman, and then, and then Peter's mother-in-law whom Jesus touches and with the word she's, she's healed. So, Um, What is Matthew trying to tell us? Jesus came for the outsider. Jesus pursues the outsider. There is a special place in Jesus' heart for the outsider. Often it's the outsider who is to connect it back to the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. Often it is the outsider in society who is the poor in spirit. And Jesus says, blessed, he opens the sermon with that, are the poor in spirit. For theirs and theirs alone is the kingdom of heaven. If you have not gotten to the place where you see, I have nothing to bring but rags and filth to God, you cannot enter the kingdom. You cannot bring anything of worth to God. That's why he came. If you could, he wouldn't have come. It would have been worse than worthless. But he came because we have nothing that we can bring. He came for the outsider, for the sinner, for the untouchable. And he loves them. This is what Matthew is just trying to convey, boom, after this mountain, over and over and over again. Triple, triple punch. Therefore, because the outsider is often poor in spirit, because of his situation or her situation, um, the outsider has a special place in the heart of our God. A special place. One reason we want to be a people who pursue the outsider is because our Lord and Master is a God who loves the outsider, who pursues the outsider, and we are his body. There, there's no, there can't be a disconnect. If there is, we're lost. We get our life, everything we are, from as his body, from our head, from our master, from our creator, our restorer and our redeemer, Jesus Christ. And so, as his body, we also want to do what he's doing, to pursue who he's pursuing. Um, another reason is that they're easy prey, as it were. You know, they're often so ready because of their Often poverty of spirit to say, I I need, a savior came for me, a savior loves me, his name is Jesus, show me where to sign. And so, they're receptive to the touch, the comfort, the reconciling love of Christ often because they're outside, poor, unwanted by society. So we want to be a church which pursues the outsider because Jesus did, because we're his body. And um, we are continuing to do the work that he started really all the way back since he created the first man and the first woman, right? But when he came here and showed us in bold, I am a God who pursues the outsider, who loves the outsider, who touches and makes clean the outsider, who pursues the outsider. Um, We want to be that too. You know, so the book of Luke is another gospel. And Luke part two is the book of Acts. It's the book of the early church. And how does Luke's part two start? So it's it's like the second volume of Luke's work. Gospel and then Acts. And what is the first verse of the book of Acts? The first verse is this. In, in the former book, he's talking about Luke, his, his gospel, O Theophilus, I wrote to you of what Jesus began to do and teach. And I'm going to write to you now, implication, not said, of what he has continued to do and to teach through his church, through his body, through his people. The, the history of the, the account of the early church and of, when we are an Acts 29 church, what does that mean? Well, Acts has 28 chapters. The organization Acts 29, it's a clever way of saying we are the church continuing, the body of Christ here on earth, doing what he is doing in heaven, saying what he is saying, reconciling the world to him through his work and his person. He is a God who loves the outsider. We ought to be as well. We ought to be as well. And again, Jesus is the ultimate insider. He came from the ultimate inner circle, the Trinity. Father, Son, Spirit. And his coming to us shows us that we are all outsiders. If, if he were not the God with a special heart for the outsider, we'd all be damned. We'd all be doomed. We'd have no hope. So it's really just an expression of the gospel. It's just an expression of, hey, I've been... I've found this amazing thing that I don't deserve. Please come and see this man who wants to touch you and heal you. Notice that in none of these three cases that I've just mentioned, the leper, the centurion, um, and Peter's mother-in-law, in none of these three cases does anyone actually, actually technically ask anything of Jesus. If you look at the next case is with the centurion. Just like the leper, he just lays out his case. Here's the situation. Paralyzed, son or servant, at home. Don't even come into my house, please. I'm not worthy of you. Okay, with Peter's mother-in-law, she doesn't ever, I mean, she doesn't ask anything of Jesus. He just goes. Okay? Um, nothing is ever asked of him. It is enough to state our case with the living God. It is enough to state our case. Jesus is able, and he often longs to help us, to heal us, to save us. His guts, Mark says, his, literally it's in Matthew conveys this too, Jesus it says his guts are wrenched is the sense that it conveys with compassion when he sees this leper and when he hears this leper um, present his case. If you can, you can, you can make me whole. You can heal me. He grabs hold of him point, guys, we don't have to state our case perfectly. We don't have to make the perfect request. We don't have to worry that, hey, if I don't frame the question just right, maybe God won't hear me. He's longing to touch us. He's longing to heal us. He's longing to come close. This so conveys that. Um, And there's this sense of desperation here that I just pray. Can't do anything to drum it up. Only the Holy Spirit can create that in us. But I just pray that he would make us a desperate people who would realize that he is able. And that he is often, often, often so willing. But here's the thing. Would this leper have received healing if he hadn't come? No. His desperation drives him. He puts himself right right in front of Jesus and makes his case. He puts himself in the path of Christ. And so often this is the difference between remaining unclean, remaining unsaved, remaining filthy, unwashed, remaining unwhole, and being restored, and being brought in. I, I, you might be sitting here right now listening to this and just thinking, yeah, m- maybe there's. there will be another time. This is great stuff. I believe all this. Um, But I'm thinking about the game later, or I'm kind of getting hungry, or my kids are in the back. Um, There's some part of me that needs healing, that needs to be touched. But I don't want to ask now. I don't want to get desperate now. Uh, I'll drum that up later. This account encourages us to just do whatever it takes to get in front of this Jesus. Whatever it takes. And I'm talking now. We can't be so presumptuous as to think, hey, there will be another time like this. You could walk out and get hit by a car. Your heart could change. Something else could happen. God has us now. He's speaking and moving now in this gathering of believers and people perhaps who don't know him. I don't know who's here. I don't know what your hearts are, but God does. And he speaks in a way through this kind of congregation and through this worship where we've been singing to him, praying to him, crying out to him. Or in a minute we're going to celebrate communion and we're going to have the prayer team on either side in the wings praying. And I would just encourage you, if you've never come to Christ, I, I want you to come. I want you to put yourself in front of him and just say, make me clean. If, if, you, if you know Jesus, if there's something wrong in your life, if you're holding something back, if you're just stagnated, if there's something you need to confess and you need prayer for anything, would you just, would today be the day, would you just come? in desperation like this guy and just get touched because Jesus is able and he is willing. And I believe he is willing here and now just to move in power and to touch us inside and out. I, I don't care for what kind of healing. He can do it all. He came to do it all. This isn't a health, wealth. I'm not that kind of guy. And we're not that kind of church. Lord, you are Lord. If you want to, you can do it. I, I, I just want to ask you to cry out to God right now, right here where you are, Lord, show me, shine a light on whatever part of me needs to be touched and healed and, 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 and come and get, and get prayer and cry out to him now and come and I'm going to be praying too just because I, 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 I want there to be a response, not people getting us and saying, Lord, and it looks great and flags waving and tambourines. I don't care about that, but God is here, God is now, and now is the moment, not next week, not tomorrow. Don't be so presumptuous. And you know, because of time, I'm going to I'm going to uh, close this one down. But let me just finish with this, okay? I mentioned the progression of leper comes up, doesn't act. none of them ask, right? None of them ask. You don't have to even put a request before God. Just just he knows your state. Put your case before him. He is he is willing and able. Um, but also, there's another progression. So none of them ask, but The leper comes, but then just states a case and doesn't make a request. He comes right up to Jesus, right? And the the next scene, the centurion comes for someone else. See that remove? He doesn't come for himself. He comes for, and Jesus just speaks a word. I haven't seen faith like this anywhere in Israel. And just, boom, yes, your request is granted to you. The power, the word. Distance can't separate us from Jesus, okay? Disease can't separate us from Jesus. Then Peter's mother-in-law doesn't even get up, doesn't even know Jesus is coming. He just goes, to, he just goes there. Sickness, dish, be gone. Okay, you see that progression? Uh, Jesus is a God, a man God, the God man who has come after us and pursued us so hard all the way to the cross, which is ultimately why he's able to be approachable as God in the first place. Only Jesus and his cross makes Almighty and perfect and pure God, approachable, because he became our disease. He became our leprosy inside and out. He became our filth. He took it inside of himself. He paid the price for it, and he buried it. And when he rose victorious, he said, this is proof that what I paid for is enough. You can now come. Come in my name. Let me touch you. Let me grab you. Let me pull you close. Believe on me. I can make you clean. I will do it. I will do it. And would that we could be, again, that kind of people who don't, they're not just open to the outsider, but whether it's we're white and other races, black, Hispanic, you know, any, any, any race you can think of that you just, you're just not as comfortable with, you don't understand, they're maybe an outsider to you or in your brain or really in this community, to go after them, to realize that is our poverty, that we are not pulling them in close, and they us to be a people who pursues, whether it's racially, whether it's sexually, you know, um, not sexually like, I'm not saying be sexually open, that's where, gosh, that's, golly, that's, when you make that kind of comment, that's when you go, oh, dang, they're recording this, that's not cool, Um, but that was another form of being an outsider, that that sexual barrier, the woman in Jesus' day, he approaches the Samaritan woman, he brings her in close, he approaches Peter's mother-in-law, brings her in close, there is no barrier. Sexual barriers come down, okay? Uh, Racial barriers come down. They don't just come down, but because they come down, because Christ brings them down and especially loves the outsider, we go after whoever it is that maybe makes us uncomfortable. I don't know. Um, LGBT, Muslim. You talk about an outsider right now in this kind of culture. There's a mosque just down the street that we would be known as the people who pursue Muslims, who pursue refugees, who have a special heart for refugees and immigrants and ministries that are designed to bless them, to seek after them, to, to, to say especially to them, we love you, Jesus loves you, he wants you to come into his fold. I, I need you, I want you, I love you because Jesus first loved me. To be known as a church that pursues the outsider. To, to repent of our whatever it is, racism, sexism and I'm not, in saying the LGBT thing, I'm not saying, I'm not equating that with race, okay, I don't play that card, no. But I am saying, whatever it is, that we are afraid of, that we are saying, that person, too much, too leprous, you know, not worthy, Christ says, go after them, because you're all like that in my sight, before I come and I make you pure and clean, to be that kind of church, God, would it be so, that we could be the kind of people who see, that's me, I need you, Jesus, so bad, touch me, I know you can, will you, Lord? Who is this man, which is where I was going to finish, is going to have to wait, but I think we all know the answer. And the answer that Matthew gives is he is the covenant creator, Lord. He is the name that the Jews wouldn't even speak. He is Yahweh. That's what Matthew is showing us through, these, through some Old Testament resonances. Because disease can't separate us from him. Um, distance with the centurion can't separate us from him. Uh, demons is the next thing. Demons can't separate us from him. Our sins, the first thing in chapter 9, a paralytic gets lowered through the roof. Okay, what is the first thing he does? Does he say, you're healed. Thanks so much for your faith. Go home and walk. No, he says, son, your sins are forgiven. Sins can't separate us from him. He is a God who takes care of every single situation and operates in all those categories, in the demonic, healing the body, healing the soul and forgiving sin. Okay? That we could be that kind of people who pursues the outsider, who operates in all these sorts of things for complete and total healing and liberation because that's what our head, Jesus Christ, was passionate about. It's what he did. It's what he's still doing, Acts 29. It's what he's still doing, enthroned in heaven, connected to us by his Holy Spirit, returning one day for his own, that we could be that kind of church. May it be. May it be, Lord. Amen.